Well, good morning. That was, that was pretty dramatic. I wasn't sure I was going to be able to match all the energy and the drama of that until it settled down at the end. So I'm kind of grateful for that. Oh my goodness, I love the opportunity uh, that I get every, so, every now and again from Pastor Mike and the team to come up and uh, share God's word with you. So thanks for letting me be a part of that. I love it. I love getting to be part of a church that has this kind of worship experience, a chance to meet with God and declare his goodness. So thank you to the team for leading us in that. It is a privilege to get to just in an unhindered way come into church, come into God's presence and to worship him. And that's a privilege that we don't take lightly or take for granted. This last week, we had the chance to make our voices heard in this nation in an election. And that's a privilege. And that's an opportunity that we don't take lightly, lightly either. And the thing that those two have in common, the worship and the vote, are that those freedoms have been protected for us over years and centuries by people who are willing to put their lives on the line and to sacrifice and to serve in the armed services. And we also celebrated that this last week, Veterans Day, celebrating those who have done exactly that to protect our freedoms and our ability to do what we're doing in here. And so I just want to say, if you're here and if you're able, if you would and have served in the armed services and are a veteran, we would love you to stand so that we could recognize you, appreciate you, and say thank you so much. Thank you with all our heart. Awesome. Magnificent. We're starting a new series today, which we love doing. This one's called Lost and found. And so I got to ask just right out of the gate, have you ever been like really, really lost? Not like I don't know where I am, but I have my phone and can still get there. I'm not talking, that's not lost. That's just momentarily disoriented. That doesn't count. I am talking lost, lost. Years ago, I went back with uh, my wife, Rochelle, uh, to her family who lives in Minnesota. We were back there for Christmas. And like, if you think it's been a little cold around here the last few days, you have no idea if you haven't been to Minnesota around Christmas. It was all kinds of cold. And there's snow on the ground, but the redeeming feature, in addition to her family, let's get that on the record, the redeeming feature was the snowmobiles. I'm a kid who grew up in South Orange County. We didn't do a lot of snowmobiling right around here. But they had snowmobiles out there. And if you've ever been on one of those things, you know you can die on those. You just go insanely fast in all kinds of directions. Then you know they cut down all the corn and all the crops, and you're just sailing all over the place. And we're out, and it's kind of light snow, and we're zipping all over the fields, and they got acres and acres and acres. And I'm in the lead on the front, and, and Rochelle's on behind me, hanging on for dear life. And we're having a ball back and forth here and there. And then, like the temperature dropped just a little bit more, from from deadly to super deadly. And part of what happened is there was just like a little less room for the, whatever moisture was left in the air to hang out in the air. So it became like this ice death fog swarming all around us. And, and I came out of one big turn that was super fun and I looked up and I realized I have no idea where I am. Like I know the farmhouse is somewhere in that vicinity but I have no idea where, right? I got 360 degree options and 359 of them are wrong and will lead to me dying in an empty wilderness in the snow. I was lost, lost, no idea. 
And in that moment, Rochelle, who was hanging on to us, gave me a little squeeze and said, it's over there. <laughs> oh, I was so grateful. I had been lost, but suddenly there was hope. As long as she was right, I was found. And if you know her, you know the odds are very good that she's right. So here's the thing, though. There was a moment of terror when I realized both that I was lost and I, off, and I had nothing to give to get myself found. But just a moment before that realization, I was having a ball. I was having the time of my life. I was having fun. I wasn't lost. I was recreating. I was having fun. And if in that moment... Rochelle had reached her arms around me and said, honey, I think we should go over there. Do you know what I would have said? Why do you have to tell me where to go? I know exactly what I'm doing. And then a moment later, things had changed, and I was ready to hear both that I was lost and that there was a way for me to be found. It was a brief moment, but it was real, and my wonderful wife was there where she needed to be in the moment. I think God wants to use us like that. To recognize that there are many people, people that we know, people that are in our lives who really are lost. And God loves them and he wants to find them. He wants them to become found people. And he maybe wants to use us to be the ones who at the right moment recognize the opportunity and say, I I think God's over here. And to go with them towards that. But most importantly is our readiness, right? to recognize the moment, to not, to not jump the gun and force people where they're not willing to go, but to recognize the moment of vulnerability, that moment of potential terror where somebody realizes, I thought I was having fun. I thought my life was going right the way it's supposed to go. I thought I was headed in the right direction. I was content. I was happy. I was thrilled. But now in this moment, I realize that's all a mirage. That's an illusion. I am lost and I don't know where to go we got to be there in that moment. we got to have eyes open. we got to have ears open. we got to have hearts discerning those moments. And God will use us to direct people to being found by him. That's our moment. We must, must be ready. Now, in the coming weeks, we're going to talk a lot about being lost and about being found. We're going to see a lot of passages. This morning, in the particular passage we're in, it's in the uh, Gospel of Luke chapter 15, the first 10 verses, we're going to see a little bit about the passion that Jesus has for those lost people. And we're also going to see Jesus pointing out there are some very troubling tendencies about found people. That his passion for the lost is part of it, but there's some troubling tendencies among people that are already found that he wants to address as well. So let's dive in. Now, the tax collectors and the sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. Tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Two real clear, distinct groups, right? Tax collectors, sinners over on this side. Pharisees and teachers on this side. Outcast, despised, looked down upon. 
popular, admired, respected. These people's lives were chaotic, messy, broken, and annoying. These people's lives were together, they were stable, they were exemplary. These people everybody knew were morally bankrupt. And these people were looked up to as the paragons of virtue. How did these groups look at themselves? This is the key difference. This is a group of people over, over here who said, look at us. Look, look at how broken and desperate we are. And these people said, look how broken and desperate they are. And the question for us is, who is Jesus hanging out with? Jesus is over here. And we can celebrate that because he's got a passion for those who are in need of his love and of his grace. And it's a wonderful thing. But here's the horrible truth. For the most part, we're a group of people who are here because we're following Jesus. We acknowledge that he found us and that we found him and we want to be found by him and we identify ourselves as people who have been found by Jesus. We're the found ones. There is something by nature of being a found one that produces this gravitational pull from being, I know I'm broken and desperate and need Jesus, to becoming someone who sees myself over here as one of the found ones and finding myself in the wrong group. This group that says, Jesus, if you only know, knew who they were, if you only knew what they had done, Jesus, if you only knew what they were still doing, you would drop them like a bad habit and come join us perfect, wonderful, found people over here. It's that attitude that Jesus addresses as he tells the parable. Jesus then tells them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and he loses just one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. And then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. And here's the kicker. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Jesus aligns himself over here with the broken and the cast aside and says, even if those 99 are as right and as righteous and as well set as they think that they are, I'm here with you to meet your need, to love you, to care for you, and to find you. That is the heart of Jesus. Because Jesus had a mission, and his mission was to find the lost, to love the lost, and then guide them to God. But the found were refusing 
to have anything to do with that mission. It was beneath them, it was below them, they were above that, they wanted no part of it. They didn't want to be a part of the mess and the stain that goes along with finding lost people. And it's precisely that unwillingness to participate with Jesus in his mission of reaching the lost that produced some very predictable, some very tragic, and some very troubling tendencies among them. You see, found people develop troubling tendencies when they fail to join Jesus in his mission to reach lost people. If we fail to join Jesus in his primary mission of finding lost people, these are the tendencies that will be produced in us. So we're going to talk about those tendencies just a moment. And to the extent that you go, oh, maybe that's me, it may not be an indication that, oh, you're just not doing very well, or, oh, I'm just not doing very well. It may be an indication I just have failed to really join Jesus in his mission of finding lost people. I want to stop here in just a moment and say, maybe you are a person who's come here this morning. You're a follower of Jesus. You've come to church. You've joined us online. And you're just ready to be in God's presence with God's people and hear an encouraging, warm, fuzzy message where you're patted on the back and told you're doing a great job. And while there are Sundays where that happens... I am sorry to announce this may not be one of them. (laughs) Because we're going to look at some things that are specifically tendencies that we, us, as found people, can fall into without realizing it. And so I just want to take a moment to pray because something here ought to stir something in us and we ought to find something here that says, that's me. And it indicates that I need to understand Jesus better and, and engage in his mission more because I'm seeing something in me that makes me uncomfortable. I'm seeing something in the mirror of God's truth that says I'm maybe not as perfect and found and wonderful as I like to think that I am. And so Jesus, in this moment, we want to ask with pure hearts before you, God, there's something going on here this morning that's more important than our comfort. There's your desire to purify us and make us more like you and to change us. And part of that is identifying in us things that should not be there. And God, even though it's uncomfortable, we're asking, would you help us to take our own defenses down? We're making ourselves vulnerable in this moment to the the touch of God's Holy Spirit, putting his finger on an item and saying, this is an area that I'm asking you to address, perhaps to acknowledge and to see and to change. God, we we refuse in this moment to be self-righteous. God, would you reveal in us that which you want to change and transform in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Here's a troubling tendency that we as found people have. There's just this disapproval of others. We, we try to become who Jesus has called us to be. We try and follow. We have a sense of what's good and right and pure and holy. And when we see things out there that are different than that, we don't like it. We want it to be different. And there's something about recognizing that sin grieves the heart of God, and so sin grieves me, of course. But that didn't stop Jesus from hanging out with those who are practicing those very things. 
he could distinguish between his grief over sin and the person that he loved right in front of him. We may disapprove of people's sin, of their habits, of their lifestyle, the way they drive, the way they parent their kids, their politics. Uh Uh-oh, he said it. It's no secret that as we look out across the landscape, right, that politics has become kind of the new civil religion in our country. And nothing draws clear lines between us and them like politics does in our land right now. And there is a tendency, and I believe it grieves God's heart, when we look across the line and see an other of whom we disapprove. That's true whether we're on this side of the aisle looking at them or whether we're on this side of the aisle looking over at them. As followers of Jesus, we are not given the luxury to simply disapprove of people. We understand that we are united in Christ. He is the point of our Unity. We will be spending eternity with people who voted for the other guy and voted the other way on the issue. There are people who love Jesus as much as you do, who, who base their life to the best of their ability on the Bible as much as you do, who live their life to please God as much as you do, but who disagree about how to use their vote to accomplish God's purposes. We will spend eternity together. Amen. We can't be divided now. We will be actually, I mean, to get a clearer view, we're going to spend eternity with people who never lived in a representative democracy or a republic. We're going to spend eternity with people who are believers who both, un, who suffered under authoritarian regimes. We're going to be spending eternity with some believers who participated in authoritarian regimes, people who lived in slavery, people who practiced slavery, all kinds of different backgrounds. Those are not going to divide us in eternity. They cannot divide us now. We are not defined by a political allegiance one way or the other. We are united by an allegiance to Christ and our desire to live that out the best way that we can. And along the way, we're going to disagree with some people. And that is fine. But the minute we just disapprove of them as if they're the problem, when we disagree with them because their view is the problem. We have stepped out of being the found people, or we stepped out of hanging out with Jesus, and we've stepped over here of being the found people with some terrible, troubling tendencies. And it is not Christ-like. And we cannot continue to follow Jesus as if that is. Well, that was fun. Okay. Yeah. If, uh, if that's troubling for you or if it stirs up some anger and a need to express, I would love to hear from you. Please send an email to Brian Eaves at Mission Hills CC. <laughs> yeah. That's not the only troubling tendency, but it's one of them. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they just roundly, madly disapproved. Here's another one. It's the overconfidence in their own perfection. Now, by the way, I just want to hop back a little bit. We're working really hard 
not to be thinking through who needs to hear this message today. We're working really hard to go, gosh, Lord, what do I need to hear today in this message? Don't want to give too much away up front, but I'm going to talk about four different troubling tendencies. And I'm just telling you, I went four for four. Okay? I think many of us will. But the question here is not who needs to hear this. It's God, what are you saying to me? The number two was this, an overconfidence in their own perfection. I've just, I've been following Jesus. I, I, my prayer life is kind of getting dialed in. I never miss a day of my daily devotions. My church attendance is really good. My tithing record is solid. I'm doing all the things. I, I've, I've got all the markers, right? I, I check all the boxes. I must be fine. And that just makes me confident. And it actually leaves me over here going, well, as soon as anyone from over there is good enough to keep up with me, I'd be happy to hang out with them. Meanwhile, Jesus <laughs> sits over with all the people who have nothing to be confident about, loving them, teaching them. They heard his words. They, he looked them in the eye. He smiled at them. He comforted them. He encouraged them. They had that encounter with Jesus, which was lost on those who were over here just being confident that all was well. It's against that overconfidence that mornings like this are sometimes necessary to say, God, what is it in me that you want to change? Where are the places that I really shouldn't be that confident about and I've just been hiding from myself? There's, there's a lack of humility that comes, right? When I feel like I don't really need to learn. I, I know what I need to know. I don't need to learn more. And so I will come to church or a Bible study or a conversation or whatever and come not so much with a spirit of, Lord, would you teach me? Would you show me? Would you confront me? Would you change me? But we come in a spirit of evaluation and critique. I'd give the worship about a 8.75 today. I thought that the vocals were excellent. I thought the bass could have been turned up a little more. And frankly, I'm thinking they're riding, they're riding the subwoofers a little too hard. I'm sorry, I thought we were coming to participate in worshiping the Lord. Yeah, Pastor Scott's message, I just, I didn't like when he went to the politics thing, and frankly, he wears boring clothes, and I, I'm just not impressed. <laughs> I'm telling you, there's something that's so different about our experience of the Lord when we come into a meeting and say, Lord, what I, what I have to offer you today is just something that need, you need to change. I bring my brokenness, I bring my troubles, my problems, my failures, and my hypocrisy to you. What I offer is all the problems. God, you are the solution. When we come with that attitude, God does amazing things. The transformation begins. There's the crit third troubling tendency is that critical and judgmental spirit that, that I'm just going to become keenly aware of everything that's not quite right. The music's too loud, the music's too soft. There's not enough haze, there's too much haze. The lights are awesome, the lights are distracting. Blah, 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 blah. The parking, lots are, or parking spaces are too wide, they're too small. The, the list can go on and on and on. And it's not all about, that attitude is not just in the church, but we're in the church, so I'm talking about that. But that same attitude crosses over and it reveals itself in our marriages. My wife, whom I love, who I think is the finest woman in the land, and I'm right. <laughs> but when I fall into the tendency of a critical spirit, I don't 
see all the greatness and the wonderfulness and the special nature of who she is and who God's made her to be. I can get into a mind space that says, I'll tell you what's wrong. She did this wrong, and she did that wrong, and, and the oatmeal wasn't that tasty this morning. And then I realized it's just oatmeal. It's never tasty. There's nothing she can do to fix the oatmeal. But a critical spirit finds us finding, seeing and acknowledging everything that's wrong and forgetting everything that's good, not just about church or not just about our spouses, but about our jobs, but about our friendships, but about our city and our country and everything else. If that sounds vaguely familiar, if you find yourself in those kinds of places, it's not just, hey, stop doing that. It's that part of the root cause of that may be that we've not yet really engaged Jesus' mission of finding lost people. Because if we're engaged in the mission of finding lost people, we're going to get over that and find ourselves over here in a hurry. Okay, the fourth one, troubling tendency that we fight, is an apathy about lost souls. The found people, the teachers of the law, the Pharisees, didn't give a flying flip about those who were lost. They cared only about their own spiritual journey, their own growth, their own development. That's what they cared about. And sometimes what starts out as a great, pure motive, I just want to draw closer to Jesus, I just want to know him better, I just want to learn more about him, I just want to experience him at deeper levels, those are all great things. Never stop those things. But if that becomes, and so all I'm really interested in is my own spiritual trajectory and progress and growth and development. And it never gets looped back around to there are other people that God calls us to reach and help along the way with him. If it's just about our growth and development, we have missed the boat. We've become the Pharisees and the teachers, and we've abandoned those who are lost. I wonder sometimes about God's favorite moment in the week. I tend to think that God's favorite moment in the week must be kind of this time on Sunday morning where we gather together and music is played and songs are sung and words of praise and worship are echoed. And like how gratifying and how encouraging that must be to the heart of God. But from this parable and Jesus going after the one and leaving the 99, I feel like maybe Jesus' favorite hour in the week happened maybe nine hours ago with some guy who was out partying with his buddies all night, well past the point of sobriety and found himself kind of alone and wandering through a deserted parking lot and who's in a moment comes to that sense of, I can't believe I found myself here. This is not where I'm supposed to be. And when someone who's left the comfort of a warm house and a soft bed, who noticed that that person was kind of missing and AWOL went after them and found them and meets them in that moment and takes care of them and brings them in and tends them and gives them a cup of coffee and talks to them and shares God's love and helps guide them from that moment, brief moment of brokenness and openness and guides them towards the light of God's love and his grace, I think that's God's favorite moment of the week. And I don't know about you, but I want to be producing some of God's favorite moments of the week. This is what causes heaven to rejoice. I want you to think of like the greatest worship moment you've ever been a part of. 
Like whatever that moment was like, where it, whether the music was just right or the particular songs just spoke to you right where you were, but your spirit was just set free and released and you felt so in touch with the presence of God as you poured out your love and devotion to him and you thought, this has got to be as close to heaven as I'm ever going to get on this earth, that great moment of worship. I believe if we were having that moment of worship right here this morning in this church, in a heartbeat, Jesus would, if he were here, would stand up in the middle of that worship set and he would walk out the back doors to go find one lost person. He, he would leave behind all the glory and the comfort and the fun of this because there's somebody out there that needs him. That doesn't mean anything wrong's taken place in here. It just means we need to understand what takes place in here is not the be all end all of our life together. If it doesn't produce us out there with Jesus finding lost people, what are we doing? We can describe it a lot of ways, but one way we can't really describe it is following Jesus. So, who are the sinners and the tax collectors in your life? They do they don't live up to any of your most reasonable expectations. They regularly, regularly cross boundaries that are really important to you. They probably vote opposite you. They may be related to you. Heck, they could be married to you. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe they are entirely lost. And quite possibly, they don't know it right now. They're just having fun. I don't know that, but I do know this. Jesus loves the mess out of that person. Jesus loves that person and would leave what's taking place in this room to go find that person and guide them back to God. He would do whatever it took to carry them back to the care and the safety of the rest of God's flock. And I know something else that God wants you and he wants me to do precisely the same thing. To live a life on alert, to be eager, to be ready, to be primed for those moments when lost people who moments ago didn't know they were lost suddenly face the terrifying reality that they are, and in that moment, to be there for them, to love them, and to guide them to God. Jesus goes on with another parable. It's similar, but it is different. He says, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and she loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and her neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I found my lost coin. In the same way I tell you, there's rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Have you ever lost something that you just really, really needed to find? Like, it's important and you got to have it. And maybe it's not super valuable in the large scale, but maybe it's just super important to you. I, uh, some time ago, I lost my iPhone charger. I know, big deal, right? I, I, can get on, I can go online right now. Amazon will have it at my front door 12 hours from now. It's not that big a deal. But it is when you live in my brain. Because in my brain, there's a place for that iPhone charger. And if the iPhone charger is not in its place, then everything else might not be in its place too. And if, that, if I can't find that iPhone charger, then pretty much all of reality is coming unglued at the hinges and, I, and, and life is falling apart and I can't rely on anything, so I've got to find the iPhone charger. 
And so here I am in the middle of the night and I'm throwing couch cushions around and I'm tilting, I'm looking under stuff and I'm going all over the house. And I don't have a house that's big enough to take very long to search, but I've looked everywhere and it's still not there. And I am going crazy because this thing matters to me. And my wife's saying really reasonable things like, what is the matter with you? I've got six of them in my drawer. I'm like, are they all yours or is one of them supposed to be over here? But there's this, I, emotionally healthy or not, there's this thing that happens when we just got to find something that's lost. It consumed my attention and I couldn't, I couldn't move on to do anything else until I found that. And that's how Jesus came after you and me. I cannot do anything else until I find you, until I find you. Nothing was going to stop me. I wasn't going to get distracted because it felt like the whole of everything depended on me finding you and nothing was going to stop till I find you. That is Jesus coming after lost people like you and me. It's looking for people who maybe grew, out with, grew up without anybody believing in them. People confused about who they are and why they exist. And maybe not even a sense of whatever it might be that they're supposed to be that God expects of them but knowing that even if I don't even know what God expects of me, I know I could never live up to them. And Jesus says, I am going after that person like a lost iPhone cable. And reality's not moving forward till I find them. God comes looking for us right where we are. Where we are might look like a very together, found life together kind of place, or it may be messed up and broken and messy and sloppy. It doesn't matter. Jesus is coming looking. He asks us to look to, what are the kinds of things in life, you know, beyond the super important iPhone cables, what are the things that we're really looking for? Like, what do you really want? I want, I want God at work in my life. I want his power flowing through me. I want to please him and live, live into the calling that he's prepared for me. I want all of those things. Something about looking for something, I'm probably the only guy that this happens to. But if my wife says something to me like, hey, can you get the mayonnaise in the fridge? I go, sure. I, I, know, I know where the fridge was this morning. It's probably still there. I'm familiar with mayonnaise in the most general sense. I, I got this. And so I go to the fridge, and in my brain I'm thinking, mayonnaise, the white stuff with the blue lid. And so I'm scanning an entire fridge for the thing with the blue lid. <laughs> Meanwhile, the actual mayonnaise with the red lid, eye level, front and center. But do I see that? No, I don't. I'm down in the vegetable bins and in the crisper trays and digging through old string cheese because I'm looking for something with a blue lid. I'm giving it all I got. I'm trying, but I will never find the mayonnaise because, the real, because what I'm looking for doesn't look like what I think it looks like. So what are you really looking for? I want God's power. I want his grace. I want his prayer. I want all these things. Great. What, what is it that you think that that looks like? Is it possible that we're not recognizing God at work in our lives at times because we think it's going to look like something else? 
God, what I really want to see, like, God, what I want to see more than anything, what I'm searching for is to see your love and grace and power worked out in my marriage, which is struggling and is hard and is difficult right now. And so maybe I'm looking for that. When God is at work in my life, that will change. But maybe over here with the red label is this thing about, like, my pride and my unforgiveness and my bitterness that are in me and those things have to, that's what it looks like for God to be at work in my life. And when God does that, these other things will change. But I'm never gonna see it if I've already defined what it is that I'm looking for. Lord, as we seek, Lord, as we look, would you open our eyes to the work that you want to do? Would you break down our false idols of the pictures of what we think your work has to look like? And would you continue to work in us the ways that are accomplished that just in ways that are different than perhaps we expected? Because that's the thing about looking, right? It's not where it's supposed to be. It's the definition of lost. We would lose things at home and my daughter would regularly ask me, why are you looking there? I said, well, where's it supposed to be? And she said, it's supposed to be in the, in the pantry. Right, but it's not. Well, then it could be here. Yes, Kendra, I have looked at, I've looked at all the reasonable places. By definition, all that's left are all the ridiculous places. And so now I'm looking in all the ridiculous places. Surely it would be ridiculous that the key to unlocking what God wants to do in my life is a change in me, is a humbling of me, is a changing of my hard heart or my unforgiveness or my bitterness. That, that would be ridiculous. Well, if we've looked in all the reasonable places, by definition, what's left are those ridiculous places, perhaps of our own growth and our own change and our own transformation. And we can't run away from that. It was almost a year ago. It was in uh, December of 2021. There were a couple guys hiking up on Mount Baldy. And due to the recent weather conditions, there was one patch of the trail um, that just got kind of dangerous and iced over, but it didn't look like it. And they, were having, they found uh, some people were having trouble. And on one afternoon, a guy named Michael and his friend were hiking along. They hit this patch of ice on the trail. Immediately, their feet flew out from under them. They, they fell down and fell down a ravine about 150 feet, where at the bottom of that fall, Michael's descent was stopped by a tree. Abruptly. Damaged his shoulders. Injured him. He could hardly move. It was clear that he was in no condition to be able to hike back up or to get out on his own. His friend had made the trip down as well but was not as badly damaged. But along the way, both of their cell phones had flown out of their pockets and hands and were gone. And so they found themselves tucked away at the bottom of this ravine, broken injured, without resources, and invisible to anybody who had passed by. They were stuck. They were lost. And they talked about what they would try to do. They said, well, we, let's see if we can't get up and make our way out. And as Michael was kind of hoisted half up onto the shoulders of his buddy, and he was used a stick that they found as a walking stick, he took a step, pushed down on the, uh, on the snow to gain his balance, and he felt something click. 
They got down. They dug it out. It was a cell phone. It was not their cell phone. Turns out three days earlier, somebody else had made a similar fall, lost their cell phone, and it had buried, in the phone, buried itself in the snow. So they picked it up, powered it on, 1% battery. And in the time it took to dial 911 and say, help, we're stuck, we're in the mountains near Baldy, and the battery went dead. Fortunately for them, someone was listening. They were able to track even that brief amount of the call to the nearest cell tower. They mobilized the, the helicopters and the evac crew to search around, and they found them lifted them up, took them back to safety. Later, they identified the owner of the phone and they brought those people together for a wonderful reunion. Lost and then found. Why? Because in a brief moment of time, someone was manning the station. Someone was paying attention. In that brief moment of time, someone was able to say, there's a lost person that we got to go find over here and then mobilized the resources to do it. God wants to use us that way, right? Both to be the medevac helicopter who goes and carries someone, but also to be that person waiting with eyes open, ready to make notice of the signs when the people in my life, maybe who thought they were doing great and having a great time, are suddenly and um, unexpectedly willing to acknowledge that I am lost and that I need some help being found. I believe God wants to use you and me and us that way, not just one at a time, but broadly in our community. To be driving down the streets on the way to work and just thinking, God, show me that lost person today. God, would you show me that moment when someone's heart softens and opens up? Would you let me be there for them and step into their life? Lord, I've got family members who, they're lost and they don't want to be found. And God, everything in me wants to go over and shake them by the shirt sleeves and say, you're lost, be found. God, would you help me to discern the moment when it's right. Not to force it, not to push it, but simply to know that moment when confidence and fun and having a great time turns into, oh my goodness, I'm lost and I don't know where to go. And in that moment, to demonstrate love. I'm going to ask you to pray with me if you would. And I really want to address um, two different groups of people as we pray. And one is maybe you're, you know Jesus maybe quite well, maybe for a long time. And I just want to ask if in this morning, if God has touched something in you, an area where there's a troubling tendency that's revealing itself that you're align, you've been aligning yourself more with the teachers of the law and the Pharisees.
that there's a brokenness in your own heart and soul, maybe a spiritual pride, I don't know, maybe a settledness, maybe just a strong disapproval of others, whoever other may be. But maybe the Holy Spirit has touched your heart this morning. And it's simply time to repent of that, to first confess it and acknowledge it. Yes, God, that's me. And I, rep- and I, I not only acknowledge it and confess it, but God, I repent. I turn from that. And maybe even this morning, God, I acknowledge it's not just a bad habit, but God, I've got to get more connected with your mission to reach lost people. So maybe part of what we need to repent of is to say, God, I've, I've treated my spiritual growth and development as, it was, as if it was the goal. And God, I, I want to let go of that a little bit to say, God, your goal and acknowledge your goal is to use me to reach lost people as well. So whatever that requires of you in your heart to acknowledge and to confess and to repent, this is the moment to do that. And then there's another group, and and maybe you find yourself in this group, that maybe you've never identified yourself as a follower of Jesus. You wouldn't describe yourself as a found person in that particular way. And maybe you never would have described yourself as lost in any way. But maybe this is that moment for you where there's a sense of maybe more than I knew, I am lost. And maybe there's a way that I can be found and guided towards God. And if you're interested in that, we'd love to be a part of that with you. And it begins with a prayer that just acknowledges that. So Lord, from both sets of groups, we come to you this morning. Acknowledging God that in us, there are things that are broken and there are things that are not right and there are things that are impure. And God, we declare our faith in Jesus Christ as the way that we are transformed from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved son. God, would you forgive us for our sins as we place our faith in you? God, would you reconnect us with your mission for lost people? And God, for those of us this morning who are saying, I'm lost, but I want to be found. God, would you continue to lead us and guide us in those steps of faith and of exploration? If you don't need to explore anymore, if you know this is my time, I'm ready to say yes to Jesus Christ and to say I'm following him for the rest of my life with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's as simple as this prayer that you can pray in your heart as I'm praying it out loud. loud, God, I'm a sinner and I need God's forgiving, saving grace. I believe that Christ came and that the message of his life and his death and his resurrection is that God loves me and will forgive me if I turn in faith believing to him. And that's what I do today. God, would you help help us grow that forward and uh, plumb the depths of all that means. But today it's a simple yes in faith to you. That's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Mission Vale Christian Church. Just know that we always have live services here every Sunday at 9 and 11 a.m. We'd love to have you here and we'll see you next time.